everywhere you look, from groceries to utilities to gas. Prices keep going up. Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin can dramatically help lower your energy costs year-round by replacing drafty windows and doors in as little as six weeks. And now you can save even more by taking advantage of no interest and no down payment for up to 36 months when you order by November 30th. Set your free in-home consultation today at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See show for details on rent celebrity 2023. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride for the next three hours. We are going to cover all sorts of things, some very serious topics, maybe some lighter stuff. Um, and we're going to move through things quickly because I've got stacks and stacks of things. If you are, are watching on our YouTube channel or through WTMJ Watch Live, um, here, this is it. I mean, these are the stacks. These are the papers that i got to get through and uh, there's no sense in leaving anything on the table because, as Tracy Johnson was mentioning, I'm on I'm on vacation next week, and then I come back for, you know, you have the final four, the elite eight, the sweet sixteen. For me, it's the final twenty four. I, I thought it was going to be twenty three, but I think they've talked me into doing one extra show. So it's I got twenty four shows left. Aaron, who's producing the show today, I, I was trying to count up the other day, and I think. It, it was a little bit difficult. I have done over 6,000 talk shows on WTMJ over the years. It's probably more than that, but I, I'm comfortable saying at least 6,000. So we've now reached that point where 6,000-plus shows in, and we, we've got 24 left after the 25, including today's show. So got a lot of ground to cover. And if you've been noticing the change, I, I've kind of reached the point where I'm just I'm telling you what I think about things, and this is the opportunity I have to do it. This is what we would call huh, um, karma in some respects. So you will remember when the United Auto Workers started their strikes, one of the things that they did that was different than other strikes is it used to be they'd strike Chrysler, which is now Stellantis, or they'd strike General Motors, or they'd, they'd launch a strike against Ford. That's not what they did in this case. They developed a strategy that what we're going to do is we're going to strike all three of the, the big three automakers at the same time, but we're not going to have all the workers go out on strike. We're going to target different plants. We're going to look at, hey, where's the plant that, that Ford is making the vehicles that they make the most money on? And we're going to strike them. Same thing true with Chrysler. Same thing true with General Motors. And, and the idea was we're going to try to hurt the companies as much as we can. And we're going to protect our strike fund because rather than having to pay, you know, strike fees to 143,000 workers, we're only going to be paying them to 20 or 30,000 or whatever. And we're going to do rolling strikes in an effort to try to, again, once again, bring as much pain as we can. So, all right, now that that's what the strategy was. They, they've got their deal. They're going to be getting 25% raises. As we've talked about before, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out two or three years down the line if, in fact, the labor costs have ended up pricing a lot of workers um, essentially out of their jobs. And I, I, and look, I, I understand that some people say we well, want to make as much money as you possibly can. But as we talk about frequently in California, they're upping the fast food workers wages to $20 an hour starting next April. 
Um, and so, of course, if you're making 15 bucks an hour now, that means you get a raise to 20 bucks. But the people that have been there a few years who are making 20 bucks, presumably they're going to have to get a raise to 24 or 25 dollars. And the ultimate, I think, reaction of that is going to be you're going to see a lot of fast food restaurants that have to dramatically raise prices. Business will go down. They will close or more likely there will be an increased switch to automation because the the payback period becomes a, a lot faster. You know, maybe normally, hey, if we put in this, this machine that replaces two humans, it's going to cost us, it, we're going to have to, you know, run the machine for a year and a half before we break even on the cost. Now it might be, hey, we can put in this machine and we're going to save enough money on labor that it's going to pay for itself in six months. And it's all going to be gravy after that. So that, that's that's always the unintended consequences. Well, here's one of these unintended consequences. Okay, so one of one of the facilities that was targeted early on in the strike was that this Mopar um, plant in, in Milwaukee, which was the, the parts distribution center. And remember what happened is that this was the idea that here, we're, we're going to go out on, on strike at, 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 at this Mopar plant, and what we're going to do is that that's going to hurt, in this case, Stellantis, you know, the Chrysler. It's going to hurt them because when people take their Chryslers into the auto shops and if uh, they're not able to get parts, the customers are going to be upset and things like that. So one of the facilities that was targeted was this uh, facility in um, Milwaukee. And so they went out on strike on September 22nd. Um, they're now back at work October 30th, and that's good. This is a facility that's been in Bayview, and it's been in Bayview for for decades and decades. So the workers go out on strike. We want more money, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, here's here's the interesting follow-up to that. Stellantis has now announced that that facility, under the new pact, is going to be closed. So the Milwaukee workers who went out on strike in an effort to try to pressure Stellantis to give them a better deal, they're all going to lose their jobs in Milwaukee. <laughs> the, the, the facility, as part of the deal, the facility is going to be closed. Here's the way the Business Journal reports it. While United Auto Workers leaders proclaimed victory in their tentative contracts with automakers, about 100 UAW represented Stellantis jobs in Milwaukee will be transferred to Illinois as a result of the new contract with the manufacturer of Jeep Chrysler and Ram vehicles. UAW members at the Milwaukee facility, which will be closed, are eligible to transfer for jobs to a new planned hub in Belvedere, Illinois. So it's not like they're necessarily out of the jobs, but now they have to either relocate or commute back and forth on a daily basis to Belvedere, Illinois. As part of this deal, apparently the UAW leadership confirmed that the contract includes plans for a new mega hub parts distribution center in Illinois that's going to replace facilities in Milwaukee, Chicago, and Marysville, Michigan. So, I mean, here's so here here's the deal, and I guess the word irony you know, comes to, you know, comes to mind. UAW leaders had initially opposed the company proposal, but then they decided, okay, you know, we're we're going to go along with this. So for all those Milwaukee workers who went out on strike because you want better wages or you want this or that, what, that or whatever, well, on the one hand, yes, you, you didn't get what they were asking for entirely, but you've got nice packages. Same time, you've lost your jobs. You've lost your jobs. There is an irony to this and if there's some milwaukee i don't know people who worked at this facility and had worked there for years who might have the feeling that maybe they were kind of sold down the river well 
I understand why you might have that feeling. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm sorry, it's still one of the dumbest things that I have ever heard of in Wisconsin politics. And once we learn some of the people who are now behind this, it makes it all the more evident how dumb this is. Stick around. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. A lot of new postings. We're going to try to at least comment on some of these as well. The um, But one of the things, um, uh, I, I've got a link to this story. Barrett News Media, which is... Uh, well, it, it's sort of like a, a variety. The, you know, variety covers Hollywood. Barrett News Media, together with Talkers Magazine, they're kind of like the varieties of, for example, the, the spoken word radio format and things like that. They have a very, very uh, generous long form piece, uh, an interview that I did about my departure here, and it's um, they're very, very kind. And it's actually one of those things where we had an opportunity to go into detail about some of the stuff over the years and things like that. And um, if you want to see it. I'll probably refer back to it at some point in time as we take a walk down memory lane over the course of the next month or so. But if you want to see it, I've got a link to it. It's available at BarrettNewsMedia.com. But um, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the, the story. And again, I appreciate the uh, reporter who did that. It was very fair and very, um, I mean, a very, very generous piece. Okay. I irritated some of you yesterday, but that's okay. Um, with, with some comments I made and and a, and a piece I posted on on Twitter, let me let me say this. All right, the the head of the state elections commission is a woman named Megan Wolf. All right, she she's in her position, and because of Supreme Court rulings, conservative Supreme Court rulings, even though her term in office has expired, she can she can hang on until Evers appoints somebody else. That's sort of the be careful what you wish for, because that's what the Supreme Court ruled when there was a Republican DNR nominee, a member who just didn't want to leave and didn't want to leave. And the the Supreme Court said, well, under the way the law stands now, you can hang around. The same thing is happening with with Megan Wolf. So her term has expired, but and, and Evers wants her in. He knows that if he nominates somebody else, they they probably won't get confirmed. So, you know, he's he's not going to nominate anybody else. So under the, the state of the law, she she's entitled to her position. Um, Megan Wolf is, is somewhat of a, a lightning rod. Um, she's not a hardcore lefty. She's she's more like a, a bureaucrat. But um, she, she's drawn a, a lot of conservative ire. So um, you might have seen or heard radio ads or television ads or full-page ads in newspapers taken out by th- this this group um, demanding that Robin Voss move in the assembly to impeach her. And if he doesn't, the threat is, you're, you know, we're going we're gonna to run primary, we're going to try to find primary opponents to take out Robin Voss. And, and my comment yesterday... On Twitter, and I said this on the air, was spending a hundred thousand bucks to threaten Robin Voss unless he impeaches Megan Wolf is the most counterproductive, self-defeating, and idiotic waste of money I think I've ever seen in Wisconsin. And I've seen a lot. If you got a hundred thousand dollars to try to sway public opinion, how about spending the dough to I don't know advance a conservative cause or or beat Tammy Baldwin or something like that? Well, all right, but. And, and my question yesterday was that the people who are, are behind this, or at least the front people on this, are this guy who's run unsuccessfully against Voss in the past and, and somebody else who, you know, got in trouble um, in connection with, like, election denying and things like this. But these are, are the, these these hardcore, really, really far-right fringe activists 
who somehow are being bankrolled. And, and that's the still mystery. You know, who, whose money is it that they're spending on these ads? Who is it that, that's funding these various things? So anyhow, th- this is this is out there. And what happened is um, Robin Robin Voss, what he did to kind of, I think, make this go away is he said, OK, these impeachment articles, I- I'm going to send them to a committee. And that that's not guaranteeing that they're going to get floor votes or anything like that. We'll just kick it off to a committee, which is what they do with pretty much every bill that's got no chance of, of being acted on. You kick it off to a committee and it kind of dies. But Voss says, OK, I'm, I'm going to move it into a committee. That, that That's fine. My guess is it will probably die there. If you read the story about this, though, it, it really is. This is the crazy element of the Republican Party. And, and I'm never talking about a purge, but until people come up and say, we've got to we've just got to stop dealing with these crazies, just like the left has their crazies. It's we're, we're going to be kind of stuck in the mud. Well, it turns out that apparently this this impeachment concept. Um, well, this is what the Journal Sentinel reports. The ads were launched nine days after Michael Gableman, who, of course, is the Supreme Court justice who, who lost, who was behind this this probe of the 2020 election that went absolutely nowhere but cost the taxpayers a stupid amount of money. Apparently, these ads were launched nine days after Gableman, who oversaw a fruitless probe of the 2020 election, met with a group tied to the ads. Um, apparently, during a meeting with the Sheboygan County Republican Party, Gableman suggested Voss could be recalled in January. When asked by a group member what legal recourse Voss's constituents have if he doesn't move forward with the impeachment articles, another group member shouted, Second Amendment, referring to the constitutional right to possess firearms. It's it's like, I mean, this is kind of like one of the crazy things that you, you go to the mental institution and people are just screaming out things. I mean, it's 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 kind of like that. Gableman says, well, founders did give us the recourse of a recall. If they're sent to Madison and it turns out that they're not doing what the electors who voted them in thought they would, whether it's January 4th or January 6th, it's coming right up. Okay, so now it turns out that one of the people behind this is crazy Michael Gableman, who has been, I mean, Michael Gableman has become the Rudy Giuliani of Wisconsin. Okay, I've told the story before. I knew Rudy Giuliani back before he was nuts. I mean, I knew Rudy Giuliani when I was starting the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. He was the guy that was using the RICO charges to go after the mafia and things like that. I mean, I heard him speak. I met him at a couple conferences and stuff. And other than the fact that he was always um, enthralled by publicity and, and other than the fact that he frequently took credit for work that, you know, people under him had done, which I think is a character flaw, you know, not giving the credit to, okay, you know, your assistant U.S. attorneys work for a year to put together a case, and then you're the one that, that conducts the press conference and claims all the credit for it. I think that's a character flaw. But at least he was this aggressive attorney. And Rudy Giuliani's gone nuts over the course of the last 20 or 30 years. And you look where he's he's ended up now. He's under indictments and he's broke and all these different types of, of things. But, I mean, he just kind of lost his mind. Michael Gableman strikes me as being very, very similar to, to that. A, a guy who's, a I, I believe, a smart conservative justice who's gotten kind of mixed up and involved in advising the the sort of fringe element that's out there. Now, why do I say fringe element? Okay, you want to impeach Megan Wolf. Okay, now, I have always believed that impeachment is 
the nuke or should be the nuclear option. To me, impeachment is something that you do when the president of the United States apparently knowingly was was aware um, shortly after the fact that there had been, I don't know, burglaries at the Watergate Hotel and then actively lied to people to cover it up. Okay, that, that's 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 a high crime. I, I get it. Now, Nixon was never impeached. He resigned before that, but he would have been. All right. I, I've been really troubled by the use of impeachment over the years by one side or the other to try to use what I think is the nuclear option as a weapon. I I think the two efforts to impeach Donald Trump were embarrassments. I mean, you can disagree with what Trump did, but I don't believe in either case it was an impeachable offense. And I think most of the people, even the ones that voted for the impeachment, they knew that, but they were just trying to, again, use it as a political weapon. You know, the Clinton-Lewinsky impeachment, which, again, in that case, at least you had the president of the United States who had had lied under oath, but it was in connection with, again, whether or not he was having a a form of sex with an an intern or something. You know, that that was an example where, again, I think reasonable people can disagree whether impeachment was an appropriate situation. But that sort of started. So now it's impeachment or impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. So what, what would you impeach Megan Wolf Ford. Like I said, she's a bureaucrat. She's a left-leaning bureaucrat, but she's a bureaucrat. And, you know, to me, okay, where are the examples of violation of the law? I'm looking at this this full-page ad, that this, this group that's got all this money. And again, the big question will be interesting for some journalists to find out who's the one that's really writing the checks to pay for all this. But but here's what, what they are. This is why she should be impeached. She's responsible for drop boxes. Well, during the, the 2020 election, you know, the Elections Commission decided that you could use, you know, drop boxes outside of city halls and things like that. Um, it was an open question in the law whether or not this was legal. Now, subsequently, courts have ruled that, no, you, you can't have these un, unattended drop boxes. But, but it's not like this was clearly a violation of the law. It was unsettled at the time. Okay. Ballot harvesting. Again, that's people collecting. That's like the the ballots in the park and type of things like that. Again, at the time, there was an unque- it was uncertain in the law whether this was allowed or not. You can argue it was not the best practice. And now I think we have pretty clear rulings that, yeah, you, you can't do it. But again, at the time, it's not like there's a black letter law that says you can't do it. It was the interpretation of the law that they offered to allow this. And in fairness to like the Elections Commission and stuff, they almost always, not always, but almost always err on the side of voter access. They err on the side of trying to make it easier for people to cast votes. And in that interpretation, I mean, I think they, they got it wrong on drop boxes. I think they got it wrong on ballot harvesting. Zuckerbucks, I'm looking at this ad. Oh, we're going to impeach her because of Zuckerbucks. Okay, that's where people like Mark Zuckerberg, what they do is they donate money to elections commissions to try to um, help fund the, the city of Milwaukee, for example, running a get-out-the-vote effort. The argument about this is they shouldn't be able to do it because if you're trying to get out the vote in Milwaukee, for example, you are going to be turning out a disproportionately high number of, of Democrats. Okay, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that. But the law, I think, is very, very clear that there's nothing right now that stops private parties from creating these you know, get-out-the-vote efforts and giving money to the jurisdictions to help do that. They're, 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 I think maybe there should be a law against that. 
But once again, it's pretty clear that there's not a law against that now. If you want to argue that moving forward shouldn't be allowed to do that, okay, again, that's something that reasonable people can have. But I'm looking at all the, these things that are out there, and these are supposed to be bases to, bases to impeach her. And I'm thinking, look, this, this show me where the crime is. For for goodness sakes, and I understand that maybe some of this uh, appeals again to some of the like the hardcore fringe element. But when you're talking about impeachment, where is the crime? Where is the the misdemeanor? Yes, you can say, okay, well, the election commission's interpretation of the rule on drop boxes su- it's subsequently been clarified, and they say you can't do it. Oh, okay, that that that's great, but that's far from evidence that at the time all this was happening, you have an elections chief that is just turning a blind eye to what the requirements of the law is. It's just these aren't impeachable sort of offenses. And the crazies, and look, there's left-wing crazies too, but this is the crazy fringe element that is out there. And my message to conservatives in Wisconsin is, for the love of God, if you're going to win elections, what you have to do is you have to figure out what are those issues that the majority of voters, conservative, middle of the road, and even some liberal voters care about and then start talking about those issues. But spending one ounce of energy, psychic or otherwise, trying to chase this particular rabbit down the rabbit hole is a waste of spirit, much less a waste of $100,000, etc. So, all right, so the way this is being played is, okay, that this group... You know, Voss is now giving into the group. No, Voss has just kicked this over to an assembly committee, and hopefully this will never see the light of the day, light of day. But Republicans, and this is one of my messages moving forward, you know, if you're going to win elections in a purple state, you've got to start concentrating on the issues that people care about, not what a bunch of fringe crazies on one side obsessed with one particular issue um, for whatever their own purposes have. And, you know, when you see some of the people that are involved with these groups, that tells you it's really not, at least from a political perspective, it's not a group that you want to be associated with. Really. I mean, talk about going through the looking glass and into Wonderland. Yeah, let's impeach Megan Wolf. I mean, would, you know, do I think she could be replaced? Absolutely. Should she be replaced? Maybe. But impeached, that's just not the way the railroad runs. Okay. When we come back. I was going to say I hate to to say I told you so, but I really don't. When we come back, I told you so. Stick around. I don't know about you, but I have come over the years to the clear conclusion that, I don't know, the, the city of Milwaukee from a business perspective, could not organize a um, could not organize a child's birthday party. I, I don't know how else to say it. The the mismanagement, the poor decisions, the hope is not a plan attitude that is so pervasive around here. It, it just guarantees that things, in many respects, aren't going to change until there is a major change in leadership or whatever. And I, I have no hope that that is going to happen. Right now, let's go back and talk about Northridge. And this is something that I've been harping on for two decades. By way of background, for those of you who might have moved here in the last 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years, back in the 80s and 90s, the the shopping center called Northridge was a thriving shopping center located essentially Brown Deer Road, starting on 76th Street and, and going west for like 20 blocks. Huge shopping center. 
Um, Sears store was there. A Boston store was there. You had a J.C. Penney's that was there. There's a movie theater with six theaters and all these different shops and stuff. It's where, as a kid growing up on the North Shore, you would hang out on weekends. There were restaurants all along the perimeter of that. Across the road on Brown Deer Road at 76th Street, there was all sorts of restaurants. There was department. There was a, a grocery store. There were, I mean, it was just, it was a thriving area. And it was a great place to hang out when you grow up, grew up. All right, starting, I don't know, in the 90s or something, Northridge just completely fell apart. And there's all sorts of reasons for it. There's a guy named Jesse Anderson who claimed that his he actually killed his wife, but he claimed that you know she'd been murdered in the parking lot of a TGI Fridays. That scared people off. You had the neighborhood that, that changed. They moved in low-income housing, and that started to change the character of some of the stores that were at Northridge. And what happened is more and more suburban women became and a little bit fearful of shopping there, so they ended up going elsewhere. Stores that, that catered to the suburban women then started going out of business. Pretty soon, all these other stores started going out of business. At the end, it was just a, it was a death spiral. A lot of different causes. It was a death spiral. Northridge has been essentially vacant for the last 20 years. I'm getting worked up about this because the stupidity of what is going on is so frustrating. So Northridge has been vacant. You have this Chinese company that, that comes in, and, and their their story is, we're going to redo Northridge. We're going to turn this into a giant Asian trademark. And we've got all these different fancy plans. And every time they roll this out, they would show it to like neighbors and they'd say, oh, this looks really good. Well, I, if they ever had any serious intention of doing this, they, they never followed up on it. And as, as times have changed and stuff, you know, nobody's, nobody is building giant indoor malls anymore. It, it's just, that's not, where the future of shopping is. Matter of fact, these large malls like Northridge are closing and closing and closing and closing. So anyhow, the Northridge property has, has been sitting vacant for the better part of two decades. And um, what will happen is this this Chinese company, what they would do is that they would let the thing deteriorate. They would not pay their property taxes until it was in danger of imminent foreclosure. Then they would come in and pay it. Then they wouldn't pay them for years. And, and it's been an ongoing problem. The thing is an eyesore. It is a danger. Kids break in. They set fires. You know, we, we've talked about all, all of this. And the, the city's idea is, well, at some point in time, we're going to be able to foreclose on this. And then we're going to take millions of dollars that we don't have, and we're going to level Northridge. And then, well, then, you know, we, we don't know what we're going to do next. We, 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 we'd like to recreate Northridge. But as I frequently say on this program, hope is not a plan. The, the truth of the matter is that that's never going to happen. You're never going to go back and, and get a retail type of development out there like what Northridge was in 1985. It's just flat not going to happen because of economic conditions the location it's landlocked it's on it's not it has tough freeway access the neighborhood all these different things and some people might not like to hear that but that's just the the reality so i mean to me like i always say politics is the art of the possible business is the art of the possible so the solution it was offered uh, several months ago when you have a local business group um phoenix investors who come in and they say we've we've cut a deal with this Chinese operation, we're going to buy the Northridge property. And and what we're going to do is um, we, we want to, essentially, we're going to turn it into storage and things like that. that that's what our, our ultimate plan is. And we're going to employ X number of people, and we're hoping that once we can try to get this back, that there will be some other development will be in the area. But we want to use it storage and things like that. 
Okay. And what we'll do, by the way, is, you know, we'll we'll maintain it. We'll put security people up there. You know, we'll, while this is going, we'll do that. But here's what we need to do, City of Milwaukee. What we need you to do, the rezoning that you need to do to allow us to do what our plan is. And on top of that, we also um, need you, that the fines that you have been imposing on the, the bad Chinese company, we need you to waive them. We're, we don't, you know, we, 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 in order to make this work, you know, you've got to work with us to let us do it. So then you have a mem- number of members of the Common Council in the city who look at this and say, well, like storage facilities and stuff, well, we don't, we don't think that's the best use of that property. And, and what we really want to do is we want to see this, again, turned into something that is a version of Northridge 1985. Now, there hasn't been any developers in the last 25 years who have wanted to do that or been willing to put up their money and do it. The city doesn't have anybody online to do in line to do this. It's not like there's people that are waiting, standing in line, hoping to buy this dilapidated eyesore and try to renovate it in an economically challenged area. So the city says, nope, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna cooperate with Phoenix investors. We're not gonna do this. We're not gonna work with you on rezoning. And because, you know, we, we don't want a storage facility that's gonna pay, you know, that's gonna employ a few hundred people. We want this to, we wanna turn this into the corners of Brookfield. Okay? Well, I'm sorry, it ain't gonna be the corners of Brookfield because it's on 76th and Brown Deer. And there's there's not those developers that are there, or at least they haven't been in the last 25 years. So the city says, no, we're not going to do this. So Phoenix Investor says, fine, we're going to walk away. So they pull all their security. I mean, that's, so now Northridge is back to being the, the vacant, dilapidated eyesore that it was. All right, so here's the latest story. Uh, the fire chief who's been on this program, Aaron Lipsky, he's, he's just outraged because... Well, the Milwaukee Fire Department um, yesterday morning put out a fire in the long vacant Northridge Mall. Officials say they encountered indications of as many as six other recently set fires. This is what the fire chief says. I cannot overstate my frustration. The property remains inherently dangerous to Milwaukee firefighters who are repeatedly called to reports of fires at this location. It is extremely dangerous to trespassers and vandals at the site. The morning is at least the seventh time firefighters have been called to Northridge property in the last 15 months. Action must be taken promptly to end this dangerous situation before people are severely injured or killed at this vacant and neglected site. If the city of Milwaukee would have worked with Phoenix investors and let this deal go through, we would not be having this problem. But because hope is not a plan, because they hope that they want to turn this into the corners at Brookfield, even though they've got no clue how that's going to happen, now we're back to square one. And even if, you know, six months from now or a year from now, they can finally get this thing foreclosed and they can come in and they can start the process of trying to demolish it, Number one, they don't know where they're going to get all the millions of dollars to do that. But number two, then then you've just got a vacant lot sitting on 76th and Brown Deer Road because there's no realistic proposals for development that are out there. All right, 855-616-1620, just one segment. the, The decision to say no to Phoenix investors and allow this property to be sold and redeveloped, admittedly, it wasn't going to be turned into the corners of Brookfield, but it's never going to be turned into the corner of Brook at corners at Brookfield. This they had the opportunity, private money, 
no taxpayer dough. They had the chance to do something constructive with this eyesore and relieve all, at least some of the problems out there. But because the city of Milwaukee thinks that, oh, you know, we can recreate Northridge 1985, good luck. And so now we're, we're back with the fire department having to show up and deal with arsons. Somebody else is going to die out there pretty soon. There's, there's no question about it. Um, and the city, meanwhile, continues to twiddle their thumbs, and we're probably, you know, if they bring me back, they bring me back to a Milwaukee radio station to guest host five years from now, we're still probably going to be having the same conversation because they're really no closer now to finding a long-range solution to, to Northridge than they were 20 years ago. 855-616-1620. It's nuts. Back to discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Chris in Sheboygan. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Long time listener. We're going to miss you, brother. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, I actually have firsthand experience. I was on a, a landscaping crew that was uh, tasked with being out there cleaning, uh, cutting back trees, making the buildings a little bit more accessible for sight from the road so they could see what was going on. Uh, the on-site caretaker, for lack of a better word, um, had keys to get into places. And he actually told us stories. One of the instances, they would have a little kid crawl through the cardboard dumpster in the back of the building where they would compact the cardboard. There's a trap door. <laughs> he would go through that trap door, go through the dumpster, get access to the building, and then let the guys in uh, mm-hmm. to do whatever they needed to do. There was another story, this one, uh, we Energies was out there because they tripped the power. Somebody took a giant metal rod and jammed it into the power box to short it out, and right. it actually melted. The We Energies guy said there should literally be a pile of dust right here for the human body that should have been disintegrated from shorting out the power like that. It, 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 it was it was crazy, crazy. It was Penzi's uh, was actually going to try and put some work out there. You right. actually mentioned that yeah. uh, a year or two back about that. Right. It, it was crazy, Jeff. It, it is. No, Chris, thanks for the call. And thanks for the good wish. This, it, it's this giant vacant building. You've got people. And now, by the way, because the city said no to Phoenix investors, now it's okay. It, it, there, there's no. There's essentially no security out there at, at all. And so when people break in and they light fires, the fire department has no ch- choice but to respond to these arson fires. More people are going to die. It's an eyesore that's out there. Get a couple of people saying, "Well, you know, they should hold on. They, they should. They should hold off." Who Who wants industrial storage out there? Well, industrial storage provides hundreds and hundreds of jobs, and they're going to redevelop. They were willing to redevelop the property. Instead, it's this idea that, well, no, we we want it to be the four corners at Brookfield and and all right you know first of all it's going to be years now um, probably before you were able to go ahead and foreclose on this thing then you don't have the money to tear it down but okay then you're going to raise it at a cost of 10 or 15 million and then you're still going to have this vacant property and if you if you really think that you can recreate Northridge in 1985 I mean be careful when you go in for job te- for drug testing before your job because you're nobody in their right mind thinks this and yet there's people out there saying well we need to hold on for this because you know we don't need a, a company that employs hundreds of people in industrial storage we'd rather have it a place where little kids sneak into let their buddies in and they light it on fire <laughs> this this is the milwaukee way one of our texters jeff these are the same city officials that shun the desperately needed jobs at century city the distressed neighborhoods near northridge century city the near west side and on and on will never improve ever due to officials total incompetence um yeah, 
yeah, there, there is that. Really worried that once you retire, no one in the city is going to ever shine a light on this again. Look, and I understand there's people who don't want to hear this. I, I get this feedback. Oh, you don't like Milwaukee. No, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. I love Milwaukee. I hate some of the things that are going on and have been going on for decades because you have this these stupid blinders, the people that put these blinders on and have no reality of how the world works. And the reality is, again, you're going to have more people that die at Northridge. That is what's going to happen. You know, before the city gets their act together, they had a chance and they blew it. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I have a link to this story, and it's it's why. Well, I mean, I guess to put it's like every once in a while, if you just think you're losing faith in human nature, it's this is one of those stories that understands why you might be feeling that way. And it's my I sent out a link to this story, and my phrase was, "It's like pigs at the trough." There's a guy named Cody 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 Tate who's a musician with the country band Whiskey Myers. I've never even heard of Whiskey Myers. But, okay, so he, he lives lives in Texas, I think kind of in the Dallas area. And so what he does is for Halloween, he's not home. So outside his house, he puts a giant thing of candy for the trick-or-treaters. Giant thing of candy. And it says, you know, please take one, happy Halloween, or, or whatever. Okay, would you like to guess how long this, this giant thing of candy lasted um well if if your answer was okay five people you would be correct so you're thinking okay so you have the, these kids that are coming out and they're just they, they take all this stuff okay they're, they're kids they don't know better uh-uh Here, it, it's an amazing video because they've got security cameras that are up there to see it so he puts this down first trick-or-treaters that come it's three grown women who run up and they empty the, this candy thing. They're they're throw, they're taking it all, and they're actually kind of pushing ahead of these little kids that are there to steal all all the candy. And they, it's three women arriving on the scene. They are scooping up the candy. Two of the women begin filling up their bags. Another dishes out good, uh, goodies to a couple of the kids that are there, stuffs more candy into her hooded sweatshirt, glances at the camera before continuing to grab the candy. Um, so you got a handful of people that are there. There's like three adults, a guy, and three women, a guy, and a couple kids. They clean out this giant thing of of candy. And so the the musician he goes viral with this thing, just showing these pigs at a trough. If you wonder why every once in a while people just question humanity. It, it, it's, I mean, look, look, I understand maybe if this was a 10-year-old kid and you could understand that. These are grown-ups. Hey, there's a thing of candy here. Let's take it all. Let's take it all. You know, you just almost hope that they eat that candy and they end up with cavities or something like that. But, I mean, it's like, really, now the kids, none of the kids end up having candy. Um All because you've got three adults. It's pigs at a trough. And, unfortunately, this, I think, explains so much because it's this attitude that I think pervades so many things here. We're going to grab everything we can for ourselves and screw everybody else. And, you know, you can apply that that mentality to Halloween candy. You can apply it to a lot of other aspects of life as well. If you want to see something that really causes you to lose, just lose hope for humanity, watch that. All right. A lot of stuff coming up in the one o'clock hour of the program. Do not go anywhere. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We are not going quietly into the good weekend. Here's the latest story. And I guess one of my, my messages to people, and I've been doing this for long enough, that whenever there, there's an expenditure of public money, you can always find someone who is going to make a prediction. And that's always going to be geared to all right, trying to get the result that they want. And let me give you examples of that. The, the hop. All right. When we were having the conversation about the hop, you had all these ridership estimates that came out. And these were all predicated on people paying like a dollar. Oh, we're going to have all these people ride it. Well, then what happened is, okay, well, the hop is here. We're not going to charge. We're, we're going to make it free. So even free, it wasn't matching up to the ridership estimates. But, but of course, the decision was made, well, even though you know we made these promises that we were going to charge people, uh, we're, we're not getting as many people as we predicted that we were going to get by charging people. Well, you know, if we now start charging people a buck a ride or whatever, the ridership is going to plummet from there. But you know, everybody looked at this rosy optim this thing. Okay, well, if we put all, if we put this there, even with people paying, they'll ride it. And and it was it was bull from the beginning. But because people wanted to do it, and because it was federal government money that was going to be used to spend it. Nobody came up and said, hey, the emperor has no new cl- has no clothes. This, this doesn't make any sense. The same thing is true with the, the bus rapid, tran- quote unquote, rapid transit line. So, you know, we've taken away lanes of traffic to run from the lakefront out to the medical college. And right now it's operating for free. And you, you had all these ridership projections, and I guess you know we're going to have to wait to see. But they're never going to pan out. That that's just, these are these pie in the sky things. And my beef all these years has always been: let's at least be honest with people. If you want to say, "All right, we we want to do this because we we want to have a streetcar that goes almost nowhere, and it's going to cost us you know hundreds, uh, tens of millions of dollars," but we think it's hip and trendy, and we need this. Fine, make that argument, but don't. Do it and don't justify it by ridership claims that have absolutely no basis in reality. And you're starting to see another example of this. If you um, follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a, a link to a story that the Badger Institute, which is based in Milwaukee, do they, they do a lot of good work. They're run by Mike Nichols, who used to be a right, I think he's the president of this. He um, they, they do who used to be a, a reporter for the Journal Sentinel and um Mike is one of the rarities, or was one of the rarities in in print journalism. He's a conservative. I, I hope I, I hope he's not offended by me saying that, but he's a conservative. But one of the things the Badger Institute has been doing, and they have a number of um, a conservative writers that are working for them, uh, they have been bursting bubbles and and looking really pulling the facts. Um, behind like projections and things like that, just to say, okay, look, this is how it's going to work out. You know, they're the ones that we're talking about, you know, the, the hop and the inflated ridership numbers and, and how that hasn't turned out and how we're spending all this money to run the hop in the middle of winter down to the lakefront to a vacant construction site. I mean, all the craziness that's going on. So here's the, the latest thing that's out there. Tony Evers and his associates, they, they've got their noses in the federal trough. There's there's four point five billion dollars that that's sitting there um, in the federal infrastructure pot and Wisconsin wants to get its chunk of it. 
And what Wisconsin wants to do is they want to take money, taxpayer money, and they want to use it to expand Amtrak railroad service. They want to run a railway line from Milwaukee to Green Bay, going through Appleton, and they want to run a railroad line from uh, Milwaukee to, to Madison. Okay, so that's that's the, the idea behind this. Now, let me stop for, for just a second. Um, the way it works is, even if you get the federal money to, to build the lines and, and do that, what happens is because the lines are less than 750 miles long, the, the state would be on the hook for for paying the operating costs. So anything not covered by ticket revenue would end up having to be paid by the, the state of Wisconsin. Now, let's start with a couple premises here. Um, right now, you can drive from Milwaukee to Green Bay in, well, a little less than two hours, right? Um, the, the, the estimate is it, it's, a, it's um, a little less than two hours. All right, the Department of Transportation says if you put a train from Milwaukee to Green Bay through Appleton, the, the travel time would be two hours and 50 minutes. So it would take you an hour longer on the train than, than driving, okay? If you were to run the train from Milwaukee to to Madison. And there's a huge question about where in Madison you would stop because this has always been the problem. If it stops out by the airport, well then, you know, if, if you've got business down at the Capitol, you still got to figure out how you're going to get from the airport to the Capitol. But let's leave that aside. Um, Milwaukee to Madison, you can drive in about one hour and 15 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, 90 minutes maybe if there's traffic. The train would take around two hours. So to take a train from Milwaukee to Green Bay or Green Bay to Milwaukee, you, you've added an hour. To take it to Madison, you've added at least a half hour, probably more than that. The idea is, and nobody is really clear as to how much extra that this would cost. What they do right now is if you want to, like in Green Bay, if you want to take Amtrak, they have two express buses that run every day that will take you from Green Bay down to the Milwaukee Amtrak station so you can catch the train. So they, they use rubber-tired buses to do it. Those buses are about 38% full. So it's not like there is an incredible demand for people jumping on these buses, 38% full, which raises the question of if you spend all this money and you do all this, are you going to substantially increase the ridership? Now, the Department of Transportation says, if we did this, if we put up these train lines, projected ridership in 2032 would be nearly 20% higher than ridership projections without the improvements. And by 2050, that would be you know, 25 years, projected ridership with increased service would nearly double to more than 3 million passenger trips. Now... I, I swear, I think they're just pulling these kind of numbers out of their hat. I guess here's my, I, I am not anti-train. I, when I go to Chicago, just a couple months ago, we, we went to Chicago to see to see a play, middle of the day. When I go to Chicago, I, I love to take the Amtrak Hiawatha train because it's a great way to get to Chicago. I, I think, I, I think round trip was around 50 bucks. Could be a little bit off, but, but. Driving to Chicago is a pain in the butt. It, you're fighting construction all the way downtown. 
if you get downtown, it's probably 25 or 34 or 40 bucks to park. You know, more if you're going to stay overnight. Plus, you've got all the congestion and things like that. It's a lot easier, especially if you're going to the city of Chicago. It's a lot easier to take the train, which is why people take the train. So if we're talking about expanding Hiawatha services to to make it, you know, easier to get from Milwaukee to Chicago or vice versa, I get it. That makes sense to me. But given the fact that it's easier to drive from Green Bay to Milwaukee or from Milwaukee to Madison, you don't have huge parking hassles in, in either situation. It's not like going to urban areas. Rail makes sense to me, even though no Amtrak line pays for itself. Rail makes sense to me when you're dealing with areas of of high population density. And again, you've got the city of Chicago. Try to find a place to park for less than 40 bucks. Good luck with all that. I get it. That makes sense. So I'm not anti-train. But the idea of, okay, trains between Milwaukee and Green Bay my point is, to what end? You run buses now to hook up with train lines, and they are only 38% full. How in the world can you justify hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever to install these rail lines, and then however much money it's going to cost to then pay the operating fees? Because like I say, even if you get the federal grants to expand the services or whatever, you're still responsible for operating costs. So the taxpayers are going to be picking up the tab for everything other than, you know, once beyond the, the, the price of tickets. And so, you know, who knows how much that's going to be? I'm not anti-rail, but does... In, Does Amtrak service between Milwaukee and Madison or Milwaukee and Green Bay make any realistic sense? And is it realistic to think that if you do add some trains, that what's going to happen is you're going to see dramatic increases in ridership over the next several years? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Please pay attention. I come this way, but once I am not anti-train, but I'm anti things that that make no sense. I'm also we have you know these people that just kind of put these blinders on. Oh, we want to get people out of cars. We don't want people to have to drive without without recognizing the reality. Like I say, I understand why people take the train to Chicago. I take the train to Chicago. And and if we were saying, let's add a couple more trains because the, the ridership numbers, you know, justify it or, or add an extra car here or there, I, I get it. I understand how you can make that point. You will never, ever, ever, though, convince me that there's enough significant demand for between a, a train ride from Milwaukee to Green Bay or, or back and forth. They have, again, buses that they do specifically to take people from Green Bay to the Milwaukee Amtrak, and they're 38% full. They're 38% full. 855-616-1620. Jeff, years ago when they tossed this idea around to take the train to Madison from Milwaukee, the cost was $35 one way, $70 round trip with no lunch, and it takes longer to get there. You could drive to Madison, park very close to your destination, plus get lunch for less than 70 bucks. Um... Yeah, um, th- there, there's no question about that. Um, Jeff, my uh, daughter went to UW-Green Bay. When she came home on the bus, she said it was never full. Well, well no, that's that's the, the case. But see, the thing is, let's say, 
that that's the advantage. So let's say your daughter is at UW Green Bay, and it's the end of it's the end of the year, and so you got a lot of kids who are coming back for Christmas break or whatever. Well, okay, you could you could add another bus line. You know, you could say, okay, for you know this week after exams, we're going to run an extra bus if there's demand. But then for the rest of the year, when there's no demand, you don't have to do that. You put in the train lines, and you're stuck. You got to run these things back and forth. It's like the insanity that is that is the hop. If you okay, we've we've now got a streetcar that runs from the bus depot, the intermodal station, down to the lakefront. All right, it's it's November, and it's going to be December and January and February. What do we call that here? Winter. Okay, there's there's nothing going on there now. And it drops you off on a construction site at an unfinished building, the, the Couture. How more nuts could that be? So, I mean, it's not like the idea. And again, look, I get it. If you're in a situation where, hey, it's Summerfest, we got all sorts of people that are going down to the lakefront. All right, I understand where you can make the argument that riding the hop down there would make sense. But isn't that why, like, rubber tire trolleys and things like that would make sense to do? We'll add it when we need it, and then when we don't need it, we, we won't we won't run it. Instead of running, like, air cars, you know, air trolleys, cars that are largely empty because they're going to places at times of the year where nobody wants to go. Jeff. We've been down this road with the downtown trolley and the express bus out to the Medical College of Wisconsin. Um, where we have it, no one's paying for it. I think they would do Madison and Green, as I think they would do to Madison and Green Bay. Um, I guess maybe they'll make the ride free. Um, yes. Jeff, of course this train route makes no sense whatsoever, but I'm sure somehow, somewhere, somebody will be putting money in the pocket to see if that goes through. I can tell you I used to drive for Coach USA, which has the line runs from Waukesha to Milwaukee to Kenosha County. I also used to drive for the Waukesha Metro bus. It's amazing how many routes some politician will decide needs to be run and will never get advertised. Brochures will not get printed up scheduling these routes. The buses run completely empty. They're called air buses. Uh, they're ghost buses, and the bus companies get subsidized for the routes and make money, even though there are no passengers that are, you know, out there. Um, I, I guess, again, it's it's just difficult for me to see if – if trains are going to make sense, what you need is you, you need, first of all, a, a regularity. So you, you need to have them, them running on a regular schedule. And secondly, it has to be more convenient for people to take the train than to drive. And, and that's that's why I start off with the high Wattford service to, to Chicago. It makes sense. It's more convenient if you're going downtown to take the train. I, absolutely. Sign me up. I, I'm there. I, I love it. But if I'm going up to Green Bay, okay, why would I take the train from Milwaukee to Green Bay? And where is it going to drop me off? So if I'm going to a Packers game, for example, if it's going to drop me off, it's going to go through Appleton. So is it going to drop me off at the airport? Okay, well, all right, so then I get to the airport. I've got to travel however many miles that is from the airport into downtown Green Bay. Am I going to take it up to... If I want to take the train to go see a Packers game or something, all right, where is it going to drop me off? It's not going to run right past Lambeau Field. So you know, let's say it takes me out to the airport. Then I got to figure out how I'm going to get there. That's the, um, you know, that's the overall element um, that, that's out there. And, and again, we get these ridership projections. Nobody, because people want this to work. Hope, what do I always say? Hope is not a plan. You know, we want this to work. 
And so we're going to like hope this is going to happen because then won't it be nice? And then nobody's ever held accountable. You know, when the ridership projections don't work out, when the cost overruns kick in, when the amount that in this case the taxpayers have to pay to to pick up the, the cost of, of operating, nobody's ever held accountable with that because they said, well, you know, we we, we, we made good faith projections in 2023 that this would be what the ridership numbers would look like in 2040. Well, most of the people that made those stupid projections back in 2023, they're gone. They're retired. You know, they're in Florida chasing golf balls through the Florida sunshine. They don't have to be held accountable. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeremy. The only way I can favor for any more rail projects is to improve on the existing rail structure we already have for purposes of commerce, particularly getting more grain to the ports of Green Bay and Milwaukee, which would probably help our egg sector of Wisconsin. I can't see spending federal dollars on the ridership program that ain't going to be utilized enough to justify yeah. the spending. But if you want to help farmers get their product to, to world markets or to other markets and, and supply rail lines for those types of services, right. I'd be all in favor. Yeah, right, right, right. Things are called track upgrades and things like that. Well, keep in mind, it's not just the federal money. You know, right, the federal money goes to make the improvements on the line. But but here's the, the devil in the details. If the line is less than 750 miles long, which it would be, the operating costs have to be picked up by the state. So... You you know so you get the ticket revenue that that's fine but all the maintenance all the upkeep all the operating costs and at this point in time the Department of Transportation isn't even making estimates as to what that's going to be I don't know is it is it five million is it ten million a year I don't know but but you know at that point in time you wonder for for all the costs and all the taxpayer money that's going to get put into this you know what's what what is the payback? Would be would would you be better off buying cars for those people that might be driving back and forth? Look, and whenever I do this, I always get these texts saying, "Oh, you're just anti mass transit." No, I'm anti stuff that makes no economic sense a- at all. And fixed rail lines between a city like Milwaukee, where if that's the destination, very very easy to to park in, very very easy to get around, and Green Bay, a city that's very easy to park in, very easy to get around. That's what I'm saying makes no sense. And and then, of course, like I say, the devil's in the details. You, you put it out to Madison. This was always this. Where in Madison is it going to go? Are you going to figure out a way? Is the rail line going to run through downtown Madison so you can, hey, we're going to have a train stop that's a block from the, the Capitol or runs down State Street? Explain to me how you're going to do that. No, what's going to happen is that the, the train station is going to be miles away from where most people are going to be conducting business in downtown Madison or the university. So you're still going to have to have people. How are people going to get those extra one mile or three miles or, or five miles what, what, to make it to make it more attractive, especially when you can easily drive out to Madison, you know, get there like the texture was saying, park right by where you're going, you know, and, and go in. Who's going to go through all that extra trouble? Sounds nice. Nobody's asking these questions, and at least I'm glad to see that the Badger Institute is. If you're, you want some of the more details, um, I advise you to check it out. And again, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to the story. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. One of our texters says, now see, you think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Here, first comes heavy rail service. 
then they'll be insisting that local streetcars are needed to bridge the gap between the train stations and the key destinations. That's exactly it. Okay, well, all right, we're, we're going to run. We're going to spend however many millions of dollars it's going to cost and, and to both install and operate. So we get, up, we get it up to Green Bay. All right, but then, of course, hey, if we take it to the airport, that he's right. There, there's, you know, how are people going to get from the airport to downtown Green Bay or so? So now, now we have to spend tens of millions of dollars more to put in the light rail. So on, I don't know, the eight or nine or ten Packers games a year so that people can get from the train station to Lambeau Field, whatever. It is. It's just, it's a vicious, it is a vicious cycle that is out there. Okay, let us completely switch gears. Now, I have to, I've got to confess, I have never done DoorDash. I have never used DoorDash. My producer, Aaron, who is much, much younger than me, is looking at me like, how could you not use DoorDash? And I, and I understand it's a generational thing. I have a very dear friends. Okay, and, and see, I, I, I have very dear friends, and they were telling me the story of their granddaughter. I'm not going to name her, but they were telling me the story of their granddaughter. The granddaughter loves like the Starbucks, the, the $7, you know, whatever, the, the latte, frappe, whatever those things are. I mean, me, I drink coffee. So, but the, you got to get that. But but the highlight is, so that the, the coffee is 7 or $8. The granddaughter, then, because she's 15 years old and can't drive, she will order the, star, the Starbucks, whatever fancy coffee drink is, through DoorDash. So they will deliver it to you. So you're now taking essentially a cup of coffee and you're spending 15 bucks to get a cup of coffee, which to me really is God's way of telling you that you have too damn much money. It, it just is. If you can spend, I'm listening to this story going, really? You know, so you're dropping 15 bucks or so to have it. It's not just the coffee. It's that you're having it delivered. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm 15 years old. I don't drive. Well, okay. Maybe you can make your own coffee or something like that. I'm, I'm just saying. So I, I understand that there's this kind of insanity that, that is out there. So I, I am not a DoorDash person. I, I just I, I acknowledge that. I, if, if I want to go out and pick up a pizza or something, I go out and I pick up the, the pizza. I order it. I go pick it up my, myself or, or whatever. So I, 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 don't, I don't get involved with this. So I do not have a dog in this particular fight. But I am curious as to your reaction to this. Here's the way the New York Times reports the story. No tip for your delivery driver? Be prepared to wait, DoorDash says. The app-based delivery company said it was testing a screen that tells customers who didn't leave a tip that their order might take longer to arrive. This is the story. The next time you order those burgers and fries from your couch, be forewarned. If you don't add a tip to your delivery person, you might have to wait longer for your food. That's the message that DoorDash is sending in a test of a new screen on its app that warns customers in the U.S. and Canada of the consequences of not adding a few dollars as a tip when checking out. The screen, which pops up on the app during the ordering process, gives customers the option to type in a tip amount and proceed or click the button that says continue without a tip and deal with the consequences. Quote, orders with no tip might take longer to get delivered, the screen says. Are you sure you want to continue? The pressure on customers to add a tip, which DoorDash addressed in a statement yesterday, was the company's latest effort to make changes to its app and concerns about the rights of gig workers and fair pay for delivery people. Um, DoorDash started its tip pilot earlier in this in some cities in the U.S., may expand it nationwide. The vast majority of customers do leave a tip. Others that don't include a tip can be seen as less 
desirable. So now they're thinking about rolling this out. And what they explain is apparently um, people, well, people, you know, have this, this service. And I guess delivery drivers have the choice of, of picking, you know, what orders they want to do. And so if you, this is what the note says, dashers can pick and choose which orders they want to do. Orders that take longer to be accepted by dashers tend to result in a slower delivery. In other words, tip your drivers or prepare to wait a long time for a cold meal. Okay. And, of course, DoorDash... DoorDash doesn't want to pay their drivers, right? I mean, DoorDash, they don't want, they don't want to pay them. Their whole thing is uh, these are independent contractors. And so, you know, they depend on tips and, and I get all that. But the idea that they're now going to tell you that if you do not put a tip in, just be prepared to not get your stuff in a timely fashion or it's going to be cold when you get it. 855-616-1620. That is the old national bank talk and text line. Your reaction to this, and maybe this is just they're telling people that the way it works, but your reaction to being told, if you don't put this tip in there, or a, a sufficient tip, I would, I would guess. So, I mean, if you, if you tip 10%, is that going to be enough to get somebody to take it? You have to tip 25% or whatever. But they're flat out saying, this has now become our business model. If you do not put a tip that somebody deems uh, sufficient in there, be prepared to just wait and wait and wait and wait to get your food. Is this going to affect people's desire to use this service? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We discuss. 855-616-1620. So just tuning in. DoorDash is, and I don't use DoorDash. So, but DoorDash, you know, where you go and you order the food and somebody delivers it. They, they are on the screen. They're rolling this out. And it says... Okay, if you if you choose not to leave a tip on the on the computer screen, it says, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Because you know our dashers get to pick which orders they're going to take, and so they they can pick and choose stuff. And if they see an order that doesn't have a tip there, you know, be prepared to wait a long time for your food and be prepared for it to be cold. Okay, well, that, I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't it, I guess? Wouldn't it be easier? If, wouldn't it be easier just to increase the charges and, and pay these employees more instead of, I mean, if, if that's the thing, hey, you know, we, we expect people to get a 15% tip. Wouldn't it be just as easy, easy to build in a 15% service charge as opposed to, and then let people decide, as opposed to here, you can order this, but unless you give X amount of money, be prepared to not get the stuff. 855 one six twenty. Um, Jeff, I've never used DoorDash either, but this makes sense to me. If you're too lazy to pick it up, pay up. Well, th- that's. I guess the question though is, then should you build in the cost of that? Um, Jeff, I'm a millennial. I refuse to utilize DoorDash. While I believe all delivery drivers should be tipped, which I do, I believe, by the way, too, because the dashers are not employees of the place you're ordering from, I believe there are no quality measures in time once your food leaves the store and therefore liability. Jeff, uh, Gen Z and millennials are known for not tipping, and they use DoorDash the most. I guess I think it's fine. Huh. Uh, Jeff, call it what it is. This is extortion. Um, Jeff, tip or no tip, they still deliver late and get lost. I'm done with DoorDash. I think the company in West, in West Dallas is, is horrible. Um, 
Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, do DoorDash drivers get paid something from the restaurants? Besides tips, how do they get paid? Well, they're also paid by, they're independent contractors, but they get compensation from DoorDash as well. Jeff, I've never used DoorDash because I think most of the food is not very good by the time it's brought home. It's no longer hot, it's soggy, and so on. But I would certainly never use a service that threatened that. And what happened to giving a tip once you've received good service? Well, that's the the other thing that, that's out there. I mean, if somebody shows up and, hey, I can't believe you got here in 15 minutes, that's really good, and they decide to, and what if they decide to give you cash, as opposed to putting the the, ta- the tip on there? Jeff, why would I tip first if my if the service I receive sucks and I can't cancel the tips? Um, yeah. Jeff, uh, this is nuts. DoorDash's way to make more money and want the consumer to pay um, the drivers versus DoorDash, I think people should boycott DoorDash. Well, I'm, I'm not advocating that. I'm just curious as to how people react. Um, eight, five, Jeff, I think this is DoorDash just explaining to the incredibly stupid what the facts of life are. The drivers get paid to pick which orders they take. Of course, they're going to take the orders that have tips. Well, what does that say about, I guess, the, the business model that's out there? Uh, Lori in Manitowoc. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Um, hi. hi. I, uh, well, you kind of covered all of my ideas through uh, through all the text you got, but I'm I'm just thinking, why am I paying somebody a tip before they've done any work? Well, yeah. I mean, what if? I mean, again, what if you you, you put in a twenty five percent tip? Okay, and so then you've got the DoorDash driver who who knows they're getting the twenty five percent tip. So they show up forty five minutes or an hour late, and the food's cold and soggy anyways. I mean, isn't isn't tipping it for some people? Isn't it based on the service that you get? Hey, you you're here. I can't believe you got here that fast. Here, I'm going to give you twenty five percent. Gee, I can't believe it took you an hour and fifteen minutes to bring me this. I'm not going to give you twenty five percent. I'm going to give you ten percent. How do you know how much to tip up front if it's based on service? Right, I, I like to tip uh, according to personality sometimes too. Well, oh yeah, okay. Now, thank you. Right, thanks for calling again. I, I'm a, I, and I'm don't don't listen to the segment and think that I am against tipping. That's not the case a, at all. But I guess I'm trying to think of what would happen because I mean I'm telling you, and again I don't use DoorDash, but if I was looking at this particular app, then my next question is, okay, well, how much am I supposed to be tipping if I tip? The delivery driver, 15%, is that going to be enough to inspire him to bring me my food? Do I have to tip 25%? I mean, I just think it would be easier and fairer. If this is a DoorDash, you just put in a service charge. You know, decide, you know, what that is, and we're going to add a service charge, and that service charge is then going to go to the delivery drivers. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, you know, um, it's so, to me, it's so different than a pizza delivery guy. If you get there quick and, you know, you got the extra, maybe napkins, yeah. utensils, all that, okay, you're going to get a great tip. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then, um, but if you're not going to produce, but, you know, as I talk to your screener, you know, it's your car, it's your gas, it's, mm-hmm. you know, all this extra stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't think people realize that. You want the convenience of people showing up as long as it's a quality 
situation. You know, but it, you know, to, I, mean, I guess to me, Chris, it's the same as if you're. I guess to me, Chris, it's the same as if you're at a restaurant. If I go and sit down to have a, a meal, and the the waiter or waitress, the server, is outstanding and is attentive, and the food is coming out hot and things like that, and they take my order in a time, and it's a great experience. I, I mean, I'm inclined to maybe tip a certain amount. If, on the other hand, I have Absolutely. a surly server and I, I'm I'm viewed as a I, I don't know, I'm a, it's a nuisance that I'm there. I, I'm going to still tip. But I'm not going to tip as much as I would if I had a wonderful experience. And but you don't know that till you've had the experience. Absolutely, yeah. You come to my door and you bring all my stuff, my plates, and uh, you know, uh, silverware or the you know right. plasticware. Then absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I think yes. I'm no, I'm with you. Yeah. Thanks for the call. You know, it, it's it's funny. I have a, a there's a I have a couple friends of mine. I'm going to name check my buddies, not Mike and Doug. And the, the three of us and our, our spouses go out to dinner a, a lot. And we, we tend to go sometimes to some very nice restaurants. And, you know, because generally there'll be six of us, you know, maybe sometimes we'll have another couple or something with us. A lot of these restaurants will say that they're going to add gratuities. You know, if it's a party of six or more, there's, you know, we're going to add X percent. I, and, and I understand why they do that, because there's probably like bad tippers that are out there and things like that. Inevitably, what happens though, and I think we all kind of feel this way, it just the, whatever the whatever the tip is, you know, if they say, okay, we're going to add a service charge. Now, I understand you could always add more, but if that's the policy, they add a service charge. We tend to generally, okay, that's what it is, and almost always we say, you know, they would have probably been better off if they had just let us tip. You know, we had a wonderful meal and the service and stuff. But it's something like when when you tell me what that's going to be, that's fine. I'm going to pay that, but. But it, it's and yes, you can, in fact, go over. But if that's the policy of the restaurant, I understand it, it varies from time to time. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if you see this. And maybe this is just a recognition of the reality. They get to pick and choose what they want to have. But um, I, I think I think if lots of people decide that they're only going to tip 10 percent and suddenly they now have to wait like an extra hour for cold food, I think that might destroy the DoorDash business model. Just saying. Well, this did not take long. Now, as somebody who's, gosh, you know, back in the day, I, I, I try to, as I think back on my career and different things I've done, I try to count up things. And I was just, like I said, I'm sure over 6,000 radio shows here at WTMJ, probably more than that. But, but I feel comfortable saying at least 6,000. Um, jury trials. Okay, so back in the day when I was a federal prosecutor, over, well over 100 federal criminal jury trials. So when, when I speak about, you know, trial work, at least I, I have some perspective of this. And normally it takes juries a little while to reach verdicts because, well, first of all, it, it's just the jury process. You're in there, you're sitting there, you hear the, the, the case, you go back in the jury room, you got to elect a four person, you people go get coffee or go to the bathroom or whatever. And then it, it normally takes a little while, especially in these complicated cases. So when you have these really, really quick verdicts, it tells you something. Well, New York federal jury um, for the last couple weeks has been hearing this case involving FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. He was the guy that ran the, the Bitcoin, the crypto exchange, you know, BTX, FTX. And he was on trial. The thing, of course, cratered and people lost 
thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Sometimes, you know, people lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all the while, he was kind of lying to investors and taking the money and things like that. So there was this lengthy several-week trial. He was facing seven counts of fraud-related type of, of things. And so the case went to the jury. He testified, explained that, uh, and apparently he did not do a very good job on the witness stand, um, but he, he testified trying to explain why he had done all this stuff. And that's my experience with white-collar criminal defendants getting on the witness stand, especially when they're guilty as you know what, and trying to explain their way out of it rarely works. But he thought he could convince the jury that there was nothing to this case. Well, um, they month-long trial, month-long trial, jury gets this complicated stuff, seven counts of fraud, all this stuff involving the complicated notions of crypto exchanges and things like that. Couple hours. Couple hours, they came back. They convict him of all counts. He's going to be going to prison for decades after they sentence him. In March, could not happen to a nicer guy. Okay, when we come back, stuff. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. One more hour of the program today. Then I am off all next week. My plan is to kind of chase golf balls through the Florida sunshine and then uh, back for what I'm calling the final 24. We've got a, I understand you have the final four. Well, for me, it's the final 24, 24 shows left, and then we wrap it up here at WTMJ. We've got a lot of ground to cover and things like that. And uh, like I said, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 number of different you know, postings, including a, a very, very generous and long-form interview that Barrett News Media did with me about you know, talking about the, the career and things like that for people who might be interested. Hey, good news. After three really bad months on, on Wall Street, uh, the last few days, things have picked up. Once again, the Dow Jones Industrial Average um, right now up, just kind of looking at the most current numbers, up uh, almost 300 points. The NASDAQ composite up 214. That's about 1.6%. And, you know, one of the things that's really also driving this is the fact that interest rates, uh, that the yield on the 10-year Treasury bill, which has been keeping interest rates really high, they, that's um, that's dropping a little bit as well, which for those of you who you know have investments in fixed income, um, well, it's that that's good news as well. So it's been it's been a rough couple months, but you know, credit where credit is due, things are coming back a little bit. Hopefully that will continue. Okay. Stuff. We as Americans like to accumulate stuff. Uh, a couple months ago, I think we were talking about storage facilities and and the, if you want to talk about a growing business, in the United States, it's storage facilities. And what happens is people, th- there is incredible competition to get you, when you're looking for a storage facility, to get you to this particular store, their storage place. Because once you put stuff in storage, you are very unlikely to move stuff from that one storage facility to another storage facility if the first storage facility you know increases the rates hey we're going to charge you 10 bucks more a month well you're you're not going to get a u-haul truck and and bring stuff out so once they get you in 
They, they have you for a long time. That's what the numbers show. In addition, and, and this is the reality, we all put stuff in storage lockers and, and keep it there with the idea that we're going to use it. And what they find is a stunningly stunning percentage of people. They put it there. And then they never go back for it. Or pretty soon, the cost of the storage has exceeded the value of whatever the stuff is. That, that's just, it, it's, it's my producer here smiling. That's the reality. You know, people, oh, I, I've got every intention of, of doing this. And then it's like, eh, it just kind of ends up staying there. And then you find that you've got a thousand bucks in stuff in a storage facility. And pretty soon you pay $3,000 over the course of the years for that. And, and that's, that's the beauty of, of the business if you run a storage facility. But we Americans are in love with stuff. And we always think that people are going to want our stuff. Now, my mom and dad, we they moved to Milwaukee, I want to say 1967. And so they, until they went into an assisted living facility, and they've, they've both now passed away, but they, they stayed in the same house. So when they no, could no longer keep their house, um, I, my brother and I, we got tasked with the idea of rounding up like all their stuff and cleaning the house out. And if you have ever been there, let me see a show of hands, okay, it, it is a thankless job. Because there, there's all this stuff. And, of course, mom and dad, they treasure all their stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you want this, and you want that, and you want the other thing. And, you know, I'm saying to mom, I, I just, I, I got my own stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with, with this. And so there, there were a couple things, you know, that had sentimental value or whatever that we ended up taking. But by and large... I'm calling the got junk people because, you know, and, and you can have a yard sale and get rid of some of the stuff, but there was just so much stuff that we had accumulated. When I sold my house in Whitefish Bay after Sue passed away, there, there was, we had been in that house for like 30 years, and it's incredible how much stuff we had. I've told this story before, Aaron. I had, I had law school papers. I had boxes of, of my notes from law school. And I'm thinking, okay, why why did I think there was going to be a Jeff Wagner presidential library sometime? I mean, why in God's green earth do I have torts notes from 1979? I mean, it's just and then and then you look at it and say, huh, okay, well, maybe I should keep it. No, of course, I'm not going to keep it because I haven't looked at it since it went up into the attic when we moved here in 1980, whatever. So, you know, it went into into the dumpster. But it was this difficult decision getting rid of of stuff because. We have sentimental value to to that and stuff, but it's a practical matter. It's true. If you haven't looked at something in a year or two, if you haven't worn an article of clothing in a year or two, chances are you're not going to go dig it out and wear it. But yet we all think that our stuff is valuable. All right. Story today in the Wall Street Journal that I want to discuss with you. Here's the headlines. My parents have a lot of stuff in their house. I don't want most of it. Many of us have belongings that meant a lot to our parents and grandparents. How do we decide what to keep and what to throw away? On a recent visit to my parents' house, I took a closer look at six Beanie Babies that long ago took up a spot in my childhood bedroom. Unlike my other Beanie Babies, these six, including a special edition Princess Diana Bear, weren't played with. My grandma urged me to take the utmost care with them, for they would be collector's items one day. If only she were right. My parents' house is filled with no shortage of my thing, of things my grandma mistakenly considered to have collector item potential. Then she goes through all the, these different things. My grandma died several years ago, and unfortunately, none of the stuff that she had really has any value. Um, when it comes time for our family to go through all our things, all that stuff became just that, stuff. 
By now, it is common knowledge that millennials like me don't want the old furniture, china or yeah, try to get rid of china, china or trinkets that we could inherit when our relatives died or are offered to us as our parents' downside. In general, we want to experience the world but not have physical items signifying it. As such, as I've watched my parents navigate their own parents' deaths and observed the sheer number of physical items to sort through, sort through, I have wondered, how do we millennials know what to throw away and what to save? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I believe that one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your children or your grandchildren is to, while you are around, Go through and get rid of all the stuff because it's just, all right, something happens. you got to be out of the house. Okay, there's this stuff. And the reality is, and I don't fault it, I mean, there were some things I wanted from sentimental items. But in general, I didn't want my parents' stuff. Like I say, I had my own stuff. And when I was going through the stuff we had in Whitefish Bay, we we divided it into four piles. Stuff that we want to take to our, our new house. That was a small pile. Stuff that friends might want, that was a small pile. Stuff that, you know, goes to goodwill or to charity, that was a much bigger pile. And then, you know, just stuff that belongs in the dumpster. 855-616-1620. I think it is a huge gift for us to go through our stuff, get rid of it, because the truth is there's a lot of hand-me-downs that we just don't want handed down. And it doesn't matter whether you're my age or 20 years younger or 40 years younger or 20 years older. What do you do with all the stuff that has accumulated in your life and in your parents' lives. 855-616-1620. One of our textures says, order a dumpster. When I was moving out of my house in Whitefish Bay, I did. Seven. Seven. I went through. I was on a first-name basis with the dumpster company. Hi, hi, John. This is Jeff. You need another one? Yes, I do. Now, some of that was we were doing, like, home construction stuff to get the, the place ready to sell and things. But but a lot of that was, here, here's my box of law school papers from 1979. Boom. You know, in, into the dumpster. But I admit, I was tempted to maybe move them. Stuff. We have all of this. Diana in West Dallas. Diana, you're on WTMJ. Diana. Hi. Hi, Diana. Yep. Hi. Um, yeah, uh, our parents are all gone. We just turned 69. And my parents had a lot of stuff, which we took and slowly weeded it all out, gave all the clothes to Goodwill and other stuff, had a rummage sale, whatever. But we still have a lot of furniture. And where is it? Down in our basement. <laughs> my in-laws passed away. My in-laws passed away. And... um my mother-in-law did a great thing after her husband passed away. She started thinning out her house. So when yeah. she went into a nursing home, there was hardly anything there. Well, little did I know, my husband took it all <laughs> and stashed it away in our basement. <laughs> so I'm going through it, and I found boxes of coin collections, oh. which now we're selling on eBay, silver, which right. is going for a great amount of money. But papers and... <laughs> medals from his dad from the war and all these postcards he sent home. His grandma made, you know, a big yeah. scrapbook out of. He didn't even know it was there. But now our kids, I'll go through stuff. You know, it has to do in spurts. I can't sure. do it all at once. Yeah. And I'll send them pictures to the kids and go, does anyone want this? No, no, no. <laughs> right. Okay, <laughs> we're selling it. They didn't want the coin collection. Huh. They didn't want any of it. Right. And they, said, fine. Yeah, and they, they don't want the, fur, they sure don't want the furniture. They sure don't want the furniture. 
I mean, they sure don't want the furniture. No. You got a couch from fifteen or twenty years ago. They don't. You know, they've they've got their own stuff in their houses. Right. So we're what we're selling. We put some of the money aside for them, and then they get a bigger Christmas gift. Sure. Or they get you know a trip or something like that. So no, no, thanks. For, but but that makes sense. You're 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 tackling this issue. Jeff, thank you for this topic. This is my favorite. This is my favorite text of the day right here. Jeff, thank you for this topic. My husband, who I love dearly, thinks he needs to save everything. In fact, I made him come to listen to this segment. Harry, get in here. Listen to what that guy on the radio is talking about. Our kids keep saying we don't want that stuff. They bought us a dumpster for Christmas to help us out. My husband is painstakingly getting rid of a few things, um, so we are making some progress after hearing your show. I'm hoping he will be more motivated to part with his treasures. Well, it, it's just kind of the reality. I was actually very, very proud of myself the other day because, you know, we had, we, we had, I, I replaced the television set. And my temptation was I was going to take it into the basement. And I stopped and I said, if I take this into the basement, it's never coming out of the basement. Why Why do I want to keep this? So we, we actively, as a matter of fact, one of France kids you know, took it. And they were thrilled. Okay, we're, this. I said, this is not going into the basement. It is either going to a recycling center or if somebody wants it, we're, we're going to give it away. But, I mean, I, I, I've got to be kind of brutal like that. My wife is even more brutal with this stuff. But, you know, we, we have to. Jeff, can I please get a transcript of this portion of your show for my mother-in-law? She has a house full of treasures, many items from her second husband's parents. We have made it clear we don't want it. My husband and I are cleaning things out now so we can have a less cluttered life and not to have to pass this on to anyone else to deal with years down the road. You know, you know one of the things, we took a lot of stuff from my my from my house in Whitefish Bay, because my late wife had, with the possible exception of her choice of men, she had really, really good taste. So we had, like, valuable stuff. But we we have it, you know, it, it's been diminishing because we let people come over and, quote, unquote, go shopping. Hey, you need this? We, we've got this. Here, you know, you, you can take it. Let's put it to use in these things. But there, there's so much of this stuff that's just around. And the truth is, you know... People don't necessarily, people don't want it. It's not the kid's fault. I mean, I, I just, I, I get it. I didn't want, there, again, when I, there was some things I took from my parents' house that have sentimental value, but that was a handful of things. I didn't want the living room furniture. What am I going to do with the living room furniture? I didn't want the dining room furniture. I had dining room furniture. 855-616-1620. Uh, Tom in Muskego. Tom, you're on WTMJ. I work for a company and I buy properties out of probate, and we go in and clean out the houses where the kids don't want the stuff. And we found uh, one time we heard a box clink when he threw it in a dumpster, seventeen thousand dollars in pre nineteen sixty four quarters. We found jewelry for the lady yeah. came over from Europe, sold it into the coats. We found all kinds of valuables. I really highly recommend, like you said, they go through with the family through the stuff because they forgot where they hid the stuff. Yeah, and, and they, they could show the kids. And there's so much valuable stuff we've gotten out of these homes. Right. And, and, a, and a lot of no it, idea. right. And a lot of it on the flip side of it, a lot of it is, it's, I'm going to use the word junk. I, I don't mean to be, you know, but it, it's, yeah. it's nobody else, nobody wants it. You know, why do you have, you know, li- why do you have living room furniture from 20 years ago stuck in, in your, in your basement? Nobody's going to want that. So whether it's a yard sale or whether it's giving it to Goodwill or whether it's just putting it in the dumpster, it's if you don't do it, somebody else is going to get stuck with it. No, thanks for calling. I mean, obviously, going through the stuff, you you just never know what you might find. Here's my second favorite text of the day, Jeff. My plan is to get my wife to go visit her sister. 
Then the dumpster will be delivered. <laughs> said, Honey, go see your sister. Here, you're coming back. Give me a week or so. Um, that. Jeff, my mom passed from a brain tumor back in 2010. That's when I lost my mom. And my dad had already passed. Her basement was literally full of stuff that she had purchased from mostly Goodwill when she was apparently bored. My brothers and I hauled about seven big trailers full back to Goodwill, and then we threw a lot in the dumpster. Jeff, you're absolutely right. We tried to get rid of stuff over the years and not add more, but it's hard. I found old pictures years ago. My dad didn't know who the people were. If he didn't know, I sure didn't know. I ended up tossing them. Stuff. Jeff, you've hit the nail on the head about that one. Wouldn't it be great to channel it to people? Well, again, the whole idea is I found four winter coats. I've got at least four winter coats that are are too many. Yeah, I mean, get it to people that can use it. Um, yeah, um, that's, you know, the, the, I, look, and the bottom line is it's just it's sort of interesting because I, what got me thinking about this story is do the kids have an obligation to take mom and dad's stuff? And my answer is no. And so I think maybe that's it. Mom and dad, do do your kids a favor and say, okay, what do you want? Here, Here's this stuff. Do you want the china? Do you want the old breakfast dishes? Do you want this? Do you want that? And if you don't, we're getting rid of it so that when we downsize or we, Lord forbid, die or whatever, you're not going to have to deal with it. I mean, I still have PTSD thinking about cleaning these nights, cleaning out my, my parents' house, getting rid of all the stuff that to them were treasures, but might have been, but nobody wanted them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, it's topics like this that, that really hit home when I say that when, once I once I stop doing this, I'm I'm going to miss you more than you're going to miss me. I, I understand because I just I, I I love the the different texts, Jeff. This is my plan. I'm going to die before my husband. If that's not possible, I'm getting a dumpster after the funeral. Yes, I um, I mean, I've told this story before, so bear with me. O- over the years, I collected Jimmy Buffett T-shirts, Jimmy Buffett tour shirts and stuff from Margaritaville. And we, we have them. Okay, so what happens is my wife lets me have like 10 or so upstairs and the rest are like are like sort of packed away in in plastic boxes down in the basement, and we rotate them every you know few months and stuff. I have no doubt when I die, what's going to happen is those, those T-shirts, and I've been resisting letting her throw them away. I've been resisting this, but when I die, there's no question about it. You know, come by our house because there's going to be big clothes racks out on the front lawn. And it's going to say "Jeff's dead." T-shirts for free, no doubt about this. Um, uh, <laughs> Eight five five. Let's see. Um, Jeff, we are in our late sixties. Nobody wants our stupid stuff. Although they don't use the word stuff, we've been dumping stuff for a years. What, what years? One of the things you realize when you get a little bit older is that nobody wants your stuff because, again, they they know they've got their own stuff um, as well. Jeff, my dad, an avid listener of the show, not sure if he's tuning in today, was a taxidermist for many years before he retired and became a birding expert. Slowly, he has been offloading dozens of animal mounts that were in his basement. We've made it clear that nobody wants a stuffed turkey or a wood duck or other furry creature. I'm a strong believer in the art of purging your belongings at least once a year. Yeah, I can just imagine, you know, you're going to the basement and, okay, like you, you've got all these different wooden ducks that are around and dad's gone and it's like, okay, you know, what what are, what are we going to do? And it's not that it's not valuable. And see, okay, here's one, one of our texters. I, this is, if my wife is listening... She is now nodding, will be nodding her head at this. Jeff, I need to convince my book-collecting husband of all this. He is insane if he thinks our kids want it. Okay, I am an avid reader, right? And so I have, in our basement, I have a big bookshelf 
that is stacked with all sorts of books that I have read. And with a couple exceptions, I'm not going to reread most of these again. I know that. And what I really need to do, and maybe I will do this when I have some more time and I'm not doing the regular radio show, I need to take a couple hours, I need to get a bunch of boxes, and I need to take all these books that are stacked up on this bookshelf that I'm never going to reread again, and I need to put them in boxes, and I need to take them wherever you know you take books that hopefully they can be distributed so other people can enjoy them. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, guilty of that as well. So... Bottom line is, Jeff, I was broken of collecting stuff by moving six times in one year. If I don't use it in a year, it gets tossed. There's one small tote of personal treasures that escapes that rule, but otherwise, even the Christmas decorations barely subscribe. Um, no. <laughs> Which, you know, Jeff, those shirts of yours are worth big money. Don't ever throw them away. I've been reselling my late hubby's collections of stuff for money online. Well, okay, you you've got... Um, there. Jeff, we don't want the stuff because it's not important to us. It's too much clutter. Well, there's the difference between what's clutter and what are treasures, and I, I get that. Don't want to go down that route as deciding it, but um, I think the bottom line for a lot of us to think, oh, this stuff that was important to us 30 or 40 years ago, that your, your kids or your grandkids, that you're, they're going to share that? Probably not. Back with much more. Oh, yes, it is that time of the week. Pop Culture Corner. Right around the corner. And by the way, for the last couple pop culture corners, we're going to be, it's going to be greatest hits. Some of my favorite pop culture corners from over the years. Coming up in just a couple minutes. Stick around. Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank talking text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. The, the, the unit true, story is true. One of my um, very closest friends, his mom who passed away a number of years ago, she she kind of had hoarder tendencies and um, she had... She had Get storage units all over, and you know, and uh, a lot of the stuff that was in these storage. I think he finally got rid of the last one when he was back here a couple months ago, and and Marion had been gone for a while. And you know, we were we're looking through it because again, it's the same thing. You're going through this, seeing if you if you want to why you don't want to throw away anything valuable. And we're going through this. Um, Fran and and Evan and I were going through this stuff in my garage to see if there's anything valuable. And and no, <laughs> it's just I'm like, okay, how much did we pay? How much did you pay for this storage facility over the years for for this? And 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 why did your mom keep it? Because she liked to keep stuff. So. Uh, do, do your kids a favor and clean it out every once in a while. Okay, like the big voice guy says, this is the time of week that we kind of put away the heavy lifting and we talk about, well, fun things. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's books, sometimes it's travel, sometimes television. Um, it's Pop Culture Corner, and I, I like to kind of lighten it up. This is also and continues to be sponsored by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. So here's the deal. Um, one of our callers has to be a caller in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Aaron, We'll win our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package, which is, try saying that three times fast, it's um, a coupon good for two Palermo's Pizza uh, frozen pizzas and this really cool Palermo's Prize 
surprise. Uh, it's a pizza cutter. I'm going to get one of those before I leave. I, the, we have one upstairs. It might disappear. You know, it kind of might. The last day, I might be walking out with that and some other stuff that comes along with the package. Um, it is just to one of our callers. So, okay, what are we going to talk about today? And as I'm as I'm kind of winding down the show. And I've really, of course, I enjoy this feature and I get all sorts of feedback on this feature. And I've been trying to think about, you know, what do you want to do? And I, I think what I'm going to do is is kind of recycle um, some of my favorite pop culture corner topics from over the years. And I was thinking about one of those last night. Now, my wife, my wife left me. She not not permanently, but she's down in in Florida. She left Wednesday. So I've been batch batching it for a day or two. So last yesterday evening, it's, it's me and the dog. And I'm, you know, I'm, there, there's the football game on, but it, it, it didn't have that much appeal to me and the Bucks weren't playing. So I'm, I'm, I'm on Netflix. I'm on Hulu. I'm, I'm looking for stuff to, to watch. And, and generally speaking, it's the kind of stuff that, well, my wife would have like no interest in watching. I am a huge fan of the John Wick movies with Keanu Reeves and all. So I stumble onto on Hulu. They've got a three episode um, it's like a prequel to John Wick, and it's set like 20 or 30 years before that. It's called The Continental, which is the hotel where this was built. Okay, so the, the, the thing was centered on. So I start watching this, and uh, four and a half hours later, I'm still watching the, this, this show. I'm watching The Continental, and it's only like three episodes and all. And it's it's really bad. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's just bad. It, it the the plot makes no sense, but it's just, it's really bad. But I am attracted like a moth to the flame. Okay, I've just watched the first one for an hour and fifteen minutes. All right, and, it, and it's and it's got all this like cartoonish comic book violence and kung fu and stuff like that. And and so okay, I'm going to watch the second episode. That's an hour and a half. Okay, all right. Well, let's finish it off. So next thing I know, it's like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm, and I'm watching the, this this stuff. And I know if Fran had been home, she would have walked into the den where I'm watching this, and she would have given me that look that all you women learn from your mothers, that look that says, I married a moron. Why are you watching this kind of stuff? You know, and I admit, it's a guilty pleasure. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Pop culture corner topic for today, guilty pleasures, that movie that whenever it comes on, you, you watch it. And you, you just, you know it's bad. You know it's embarrassing. Your spouse walks in and rolls their eyes because they can't believe you are watching it again and again and again. Your guilty pleasure at the movies. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. It's pop culture time. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. I just, I just love this. Jeff, almost any Steven Seagal movie. Um, I've got that. Jeff, my guilty pleasure, the old James Bond movies. Um, yes. Uh, let's see. Um, Easy Money starring Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, that was, that was his first one. Then he did Back to School. That was, I remember that. Um, Jeff, mine is Napoleon Dynamite. Simply stupid, but it is incredibly funny. Um, Jeff, uh, any of the pitch perfect movies um yeah well you've got that there godzilla king of the monsters yeah you've got that one there jeff oh brother where art thou my wife will not watch it that's from don in sturdivant uh pacific rim that's my guilty pleasure for sure love science fiction but they are often really low-grade flicks jeff dirty dancing i've watched it over a hundred times 
Um, you've got that. Jeff Roadhouse. Yeah, Roadhouse would be a guilty pleasure. It's another one of these movies that makes absolutely no sense, but it's on all the time, and people end up watching it. Jeff, any of the original Planets of the Apes movies? Yes, um, with Charleston Heston. Um, <laughs> Jeff, any of the Rocky movies? Jeff, Dodgeball the movie. Yeah, you've got that there. 855-616-1620. Okay, let's start with John in De Pere. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I am well, thank Thanks you. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks. Guilty pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a sucker for Wild Wild, the Wild Wild West TV show. <laughs> right. With Artemis Gordon and James West. I can sit and watch that time and time again. Right. Uh, so much, you know, that my wife will come in and roll her eyes, you know, which, <laughs> yep. you know, I do the same thing when I walk in on her watching Hallmark. <laughs> which are basically all the same, but that's just my opinion. They are. Oh, good. John, okay, that's great. The Wild Wild West. And then, of course, there was the Wild Wild West movie with uh, Will Smith and Kevin Klein, and that's that would be that would definitely be one that qualifies as, as a guilty pleasure. I have another one. I've admitted this before. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man with Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke. It's The movie makes no sense. It's clearly a movie that all these guys did just because it was a paycheck. But for some reason, I, I end up watching it. Uh, the guy um, who played uh, Fring in, in Breaking Bad, whose name is escaping me um, at, right at the moment, this was one of his first movies as well. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Joe in Caledonia. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, this is... Final tap. <laughs> hey, I've got, uh, I've got a, I, mine goes up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, my wife, now she doesn't give me the eye roll. What she does is she comes out and laughs at me laughing uh, <laughs> all through the movie. And, and my favorite line, and this goes with the guilty pleasure. There's such a fine line between clever and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I love it. Thanks for calling. And, and that's, I mean, well, your spinal tap would be, Spinal Tap would be a guilty pleasure. That definitely qualifies. Let's talk to Lou in West Dallas. Lou, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> you said it al- already with uh, uh, Roadhouse, but I guess <laughs> I- I'll go to the second one. Po- uh, point Break with Patrick Swayze. Oh. I don't know why I keep watching stupid movies over and over. Yeah, I mean, let's go back to Roadhouse. You know, Ben Gazzara and, you know, this, uh, the, the, these, uh, the, the late Terry Funk, the wrestler, he's got a spot in this and things. And the thing, again, it makes absolutely no sense. But I understand you're, you know, you kind of watch this and you know how it's going to turn out. But, but you know, you, you get fixed into it. No, I agree. And, and, of course, that's one that's on all the time. Okay, let's talk to Cheryl in New Berlin. Cheryl, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, First of all, I wanted to say congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Thank you. I'm so happy for you. I will miss your show terribly, but I wish you well. Thank you. Um, my um, choice of a movie that I could watch over and over again is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles <laughs> with the late John Candy oh. and Steve Martin, um, especially with the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. I, You know, it's... Um 
I, I, rem- I went to see that with, with my late wife, Sue, and she, at the time, she was traveling a lot for her job, and she just, the, it was one of the, it was very difficult for her to watch because, it, I mean, it, it was like life. She it was like, oh, I've been on that plane that gets diverted, and suddenly you're not coming home to Milwaukee, and you're in South Bend, Indiana, or I'm at that train station, and the train doesn't show up or whatever. That Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is, is a great movie. The first three quarters of it are funny, and then the last 10 or 15 minutes are incredibly touching that that's it's, it's just a wonderful film yes indeed it is and i look forward to watching it again in three weeks cheryl you have obviously touched a nerve with my producer aaron because you are the winner of our palermo's pizza prize package so enjoy a couple pizzas on wtmj Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you, and thanks for listening, and thanks for all the good wishes. And like I say, I'm, I appreciate Cheryl saying she's going to miss me. That The honest-to-goodness truth is that I am, I'm going to miss you much more than you are going to miss me. That, that's just, and that's, just, that's right. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jeff, for me, Smokey and the Bandit won. Far-fetched but funny every time. Yeah, the late Jackie Gleason, the late Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, uh, the late Jerry Reed. God, all those people are dead. But yeah, that's it's just Smokey and the Bandit. And and I remember when that first came out, and that was that was a big thing. You could not buy Coors beer east of the Mississippi. That was the whole. That was the MacGuffin of it because they're making the beer run to get uh, Coors beer and stuff. And I remember that Jeff. To me, it's the Shawshank Redemption. See, I'm not even sure. I think that's a guilty pleasure. I think that's still a pretty good. Um, I think that's a pretty good movie. For me, it's got to be Groundhog Day, right, with uh, Bill Murray. Jeff, the original King Kong from 1933. Jeff, Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, that that really, um, that goes back a long way. So that George Lucas's first or that's Spielberg's first? Um, let's see, Spaceballs. Well, you can't go wrong with anything that's uh, Mel Brooks. Jeff, for me, my guilty pleasure is the first Odd Couple movie. Uh, that's where Tony Randall and um, Walter Matthau played uh, Felix and Oscar. Yeah, Giancarlo Exposito, that's the Gus Fring character who finds his way into Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Somebody says, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that would be another one that fits in. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Do me a favor. If you're looking to just, if you want to kind of like take a walk down memory lane and stuff this weekend, fire up that Guilty Pleasure movie. Watch it. When your kids come in, when your spouse comes in, when your parents come in and they just kind of roll your eyes at you, gee, I can't believe you're watching this. Just say that guy on the radio just reminded me I got to indulge my guilty pleasures every once in a while. And that's my going to be my thought when next time Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man comes on. Okay, when we come back, let us find out what John and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner.